0: Good morning, everyone. Glad you are with us this morning. Hope uh, you watch online, can uh, enter into worship uh, there at home. And those of you down in F3, glad you're joining us there as well. Well, uh, if you haven't noticed yet, uh, yellow school buses are all over the place, right? So the public schools have started back up again. And uh, you just have to plan a little Differently, you know because if you get behind one of those things you're going to be five ten minutes late to wherever you're extending to go But uh, I always feel for kids This time of year especially those who say if you're new in the area and you're starting a new school or you you are um, uh, Maybe starting a new Level of education. Maybe you're going to junior high for the first time or a freshman in high school. Everything is so new and there's a lot of concerns and a lot of questions. A lot of things run through kids' mind. It's a, it's a, it can be a high-stress time. And I think one of the questions that uh, probably is always in the minds of kids this time of year is, who are my friends going to be? That's so big. It's just so important. And, and, you know, kids can be brutal at times. Who are my friends going to be? I read an article this week. About uh, telltale signs that someone is not your friend. You know, little things that you pick up like closed body language, you know, when you're talking with people and they kind of begin to move or, or the pursed lips like, or um, uh, the lack of uh, entering into a conversation, just uh, or w- looking at your watch as you're having a conversation or, you know, no eye contact. Uh, um, and not returning text, and and these are kind of innocuous type things, but they are indicators. At least this article said that maybe someone might not be very friendly towards you, and um, those things are a little hard to judge and to read sometimes. I, I wish it was more obvious, like you know, your tires got slashed, or they're poisoning your food. I mean, <laughs> then you then you know where you stand with people. The apostle Paul could uh, come up with a whole list. Of things, that uh, I mean, he was an expert probably at this stuff. A whole list of of uh, examples of how he knew people weren't his friends uh, because he didn't have a lot of them, at least in the Jewish community. The fellow Jews of Paul made it very clear he was not liked. we we've, we've been studying through the Book of Acts. I just want to read through some verses throughout the Book of Acts that kind of indicate this. A little bit of a review, for instance, in Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 27, Barnabas took hold of uh, Paul and brought him to the apostles. This is shortly after he was converted, after Paul became a follower of Christ. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. All right, how about chapter 13, verse 50? The Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Chapter 14, verse 19, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Uh, Not a friendly crowd. You know you don't have many friends when they want to kill you. Chapter 17, chapter 17, verse 5, the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out, talking about Paul and his entourage, to bring them out to the people. Then verse 13 adds, but when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea... Well, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Everywhere Paul went, the Jewish people were after him. Or chapter 18, verse 12. When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul, brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Get rid of him. Or in chapter 20, verse 2. When he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortations, he came to Greece, and he spent three months there, and when a plot was formed against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return to Macedonia. I mean, this goes on and on and on. Now, now here's the deal. Um, Paul was the, if you recall, remember, Paul, or Saul, was the you know, rising star of Judaism as a young man. He was the darling child of the, of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. He was a, by his own admission, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was uh, a credentialized zealot for Judaism. Um, he, was, uh, he was there when Stephen, the first Christian, was martyred, that first Christian martyr. He held the cloaks of the people who were throwing the stones killing Stephen, and it says that he gave hearty approval to what was going on. He became the the chief persecutor of the church. He was the ambassador of violence for Judaism to stomp out Christianity. I mean, the Jewish leaders loved this guy. He was the poster child for everything that you would want as the, the leaders of Judaism to stomp out Christianity. And then all that changed when Paul was on his way to Damascus to get rid of some Christians when he met Jesus Christ and had that, that moment where he was blinded by the brilliance of Jesus and he met him face to face and his life was forever altered and changed. Ever since that point, his relationship with organized Judaism of Jerusalem went terribly wrong went south, and they were after him from that day on. Worse yet, Paul distinguished himself as the missionary to the Gentiles. And it was like that was the, that, that's what sealed the fate of Paul. He was hated more than anything else. He had, he had, he had turned treasonous against Judaism. And now he was actually proclaiming that Gentiles could get to heaven as a free gift because of God's grace. Um, You would think the last place then that the Apostle Paul would ever want to show his face was back in Jerusalem. That was uh, the center of hatred towards him. And yet in our study of the book of Acts, four times we know Paul went to Jerusalem for instance again shortly three years after he was converted Acts chapter 9 verse 26 he came to Jerusalem he was trying to associate with the disciples but they were all afraid of him believing that he was not a disciple of Jesus they didn't trust him that was shortly after he had gotten converted that was his first trip back to Jerusalem after he was converted his second trip was about 11 years later 14 years after being converted Uh, verse 27 of chapter 11 says, Now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul... To the elders. So this was his second trip, 14 years after converted, he goes back to Jerusalem. The third trip was a few years later in Acts chapter 15, when the leaders of the church convened this Jerusalem council to hammer out some very important issues. The fourth trip that he made is the passage we're going to look at this morning in Acts 21. It was the conclusion of his third and final missionary journey. And he ends up in Jerusalem. Now, each time Paul went back to Jerusalem, it got more dangerous because his reputation continued to grow. And uh, more and more, the leaders of Jerusalem, of of, of Judaism, realized this man is a grave threat. And each time he goes back to Jerusalem, it becomes more and more dangerous, which is why in this fourth and final trip, to jerusalem everybody is saying why why on earth do you want to go to jerusalem paul that's insane uh, y- your life could be over if you go back to jerusalem and not only were people saying that the warnings came from the spirit of god himself uh, we read this last week in chapter 20 And now behold, bound by the Spirit, Paul says, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Um, There was good evidence that things weren't going to go well for Paul if he went back to Jerusalem. And yet, undaunted by these warnings, for Paul it was Jerusalem or bust. He's going to Jerusalem, and uh, no one could dissuade him otherwise. So take your Bibles. We're in chapter 21, uh, chapter 21 of Acts. Let's uh, pick up the story and keep reading. He had said uh, goodbye to the Ephesian elders. We saw that last week. He called for the Ephesian elders, met him uh, in Miletus, had that very tearful goodbye. Uh, Chapter 21, verse 1 says, and when he had Parted from them, I like how the NIV translates it. When he had torn him themselves away from those um, Ephesian elders, that's what it literally means. It's my translation says when they had parted from them. That's kind of doesn't quite grab the sense of the word. It was we, they tore themselves away. There was so much emotion, tighter. There was it was so hard. They tore themselves away and it set sail. We ran a straight course to Kos the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera, and I found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing for Syria and landed at Tyre, for there, was the, sh- for there the ship was to unload its cargo. It, it, it's kind of interesting, Luke is just saying, look, this is smooth sailing. It's, it's kind of almost ominous, like everything was going so well, but all these warnings were pointing to when you get to your destination in Jerusalem, it's not going to go well. And verse 4 says, And after looking up the disciples there in Tyre, we stayed there seven days. And here's the first warning words of warning. But they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. Um, by the way, notice the, the, the um, third person or first person plural, we. Uh, so this in, involves Luke, in chapter twenty verse four, there's a whole list of traveling companions uh, that were going with them. And so uh, they're they're warning Paul, these believers in uh, tire, um, don't uh, don't go there. it's It's going to mean bad things for you. And when our days were ended, we left and started on our journey while they all with wives and children escorted us until we were out of the city. And after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. And we got on the boat, verse 6, and they returned home again. He continues the voyage from Tyre. We finished the voyage from Tyre. We arrived in Ptolemaeus. And after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. And on the next day we left and came to Caesarea and entering the house of Philip the Evangelist. Was one of the seven we stayed with him this man had four virgin daughters who were also prophetesses and this is the same uh, philip that we saw he was one of the the deacons uh that was raised up in acts chapter 6 to help take care of things in jerusalem and then we saw him go to samaria and he began to evangelize in samaria and then the spirit of god in chapter 8 whisked him away on the road coming out of jerusalem and he met a ethiopian eunuch who was reading the book of isaiah And he led him to know Jesus, so he's got the label, Philip the Evangelist, who had uh, these four daughters who were also prophetesses. But verse 10 says, as we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He was the guy we met in chapter 11 who prophesied of the famine that was going to take place there. And verse 11 says, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt Bound his own feet and hands, and said, "This is what the Holy Spirit says: In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles." Boy, I tell you what: If I ever saw Agabus coming in, I'd get out of there. I mean, every time Agabus showed up, it was like there's a famine. You know, you're going to be bound in Jerusalem. And um, but Agabus was saying nothing more than what Paul was hearing from other believers. But it was as if when this prophet Agabus said it, it was so convincing. Look at verse 12. When we heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging Paul not to go to Jerusalem. There was no doubt in anyone's mind that it was not going to go well in Jerusalem. The Spirit of God had communicated it to Paul even himself. And now the, the, the prophet Agabus comes down. It just it seals Paul's fate. And they beg Paul. It, what more evidence do you need, Paul? This would be insanity to go down to Jerusalem. Don't do it. Now there's interesting debate in commentaries and, and people who look at this passage and they think that, well, you know, Paul probably went against the Spirit of God. He was just kind of... You know stubborn and uh, he shouldn't have gone he was given all the warnings um, I don't buy that at all uh, we'll see in just a moment why Paul was so bent on going so fixed on getting to Jerusalem um, he had told the Ephesian elders I, I want to finish my course I want to finish the, the, the task that God has called me to and that was to proclaim he said The good news of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to Jerusalem to do that. And the friends and all these people, the churches, meant well. I mean, it was obvious it was not going to go well for Paul in Jerusalem. They beg him. But I think these are not, these warnings are not prohibitions about going to Jerusalem. I do think they're preparing Paul to face what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem, they're preparing him. But I don't think God was prohibiting him from going. Paul answers, it's interesting in verse 13. He said, You know, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. There's his resolve. This is all about the Lord Jesus. It wasn't about him, it was about proclaiming the good news of Jesus. What are you doing? You're breaking my heart. It's an interesting term, by the way. It was a word that was used when you would wash clothes in the river and then you would take those wet, uh, dripping clothes and beat them, pound them on the rocks to wash them and dry them. You'd pound the, 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 the clothes on the He said, what are you doing? You're, you're pounding my heart. You're, you're trying to dissuade me. You're trying to you know, check me from doing this. Don't do that. Don't you know that I'm willing to be bound in Jerusalem? I'm ready to die for the, for the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent. And they're remarking, well, the will of the Lord be done. And after these days, we got ready and started on our way to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples, verse 16 from Caesarea, also came with us, taking us to Manasseh of Cyprus, Cyprus, a disciple of long-standing, some of our translation says, and early, one of the earliest disciples with whom we were to lodge. Manasseh must have been a follower of Jesus, maybe while Jesus was still walking on this earth before he ascended, or maybe he got saved on the day of Pentecost or something, but he, he'd been around a long time. and I find it interesting that that's where they end up as they come into Jerusalem. With a disciple of long standing. Now, we can read behind the lines of what all the meaning of that is, but here's a guy who had walked with Jesus a long time. Many, many years. We're talking about potentially 30 years now. And uh, Paul and his entourage of friends end up there. Who better to give encouragement? Who better to say to Paul, stay the course? He says, I have walked with Jesus all these years. I have never found him to let us down once. He is faithful to the end. I'm reading between the lines here on that, but I just sense. Here's a disciple of longstanding. And it says in verse 17, after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Now, there are so many wonderful lessons from this passage. And I, you know, I would encourage you... Um, and, just, and this is just a good practice. It's just a good discipline. But I would just encourage you always to ask the Lord Jesus yourself, what what, what does this mean? What does this, what does this passage have? What, what are the lessons I can learn, Lord? I mean, I'm going to tell you some things I sense that he's communicated to me that I'm going to share it with you. But there's some other, I'm sure, rich things in here. So what, what does the Lord want to teach you? So always go after Any sermon or Bible study, and just go before the Lord and ask Him to direct you uh, on these things. Let me share with you a few things, though, that jumped out to me. Lessons from this passage. Here's the first one The ultimate goal in life for us is not to live comfortably, but it's to follow Christ completely. Why was Paul dead set? Why was Paul dead set on getting to Jerusalem? In spite of the warnings, in spite of the pleadings, in spite of of knowing that it was not going to be very comfortable for him when he went to Jerusalem. Why did he go? Because I believe Paul was following the Lord Jesus completely. He was totally sold out to the Lord and he was on a mission that the Lord had sent him on to get to Jerusalem. Um, I want to take you back to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 25, um, Paul wrote to the Romans uh, a few months before this event that we're reading took place. So AD 57, Paul is in Corinth, he's writing a letter, he's on his third missionary journey, but he's in the city of Corinth and he's writing a letter to the Roman church that he hasn't been there yet. And it says in Romans chapter 15, verse 25, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints... For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they're indebted to minister to them also in the material things. So therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, then I'll go on by way of you to Spain. Do you see what Paul is saying? I am compelled. I'm going to Jerusalem. And what was he going to Jerusalem for? He had collected offerings, contributions, from the Gentile churches to take to the Jewish believers in Judea, in Jerusalem, who were struggling, who were being persecuted, who needed help. And Paul was bringing those gifts from the Gentile believers that he had collected the offerings that have been taken, and he says, I'm going to Jerusalem to serve the saints. Well, then he adds, and I know that when I come to you, back to Rome, when I come to Rome, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Why, Paul? Why are you asking for prayer? That I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. And that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. So that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. You know, Paul knew. Paul knew it was not going to go well for him in Jerusalem. He didn't need all the warnings of the people. He got them. He didn't need Agabus to take his belt and wrap Agabus' arms and say, This is what's going to happen to the guy who owns his belt. You're going to be in trouble. He knew. He prays, he asks the the Roman uh, believers uh, when he sends this letter, hey, pray for me, that I can be rescued from what awaits me in Jerusalem. Paul's desire and intention, though, was to go to Jerusalem so that he could personally deliver this gift that had been collected, the money and the contributions that had been collected by Gentile churches to give to the Jewish believers of followers of Jesus back in Jerusalem. Now, why was that important for Paul? Why was that so important that he was willing even to risk imprisonment or maybe even death? Why was it Jerusalem or bust? I think one reason. It was the unity of the body of Christ was at stake. Now, we've talked about this a little bit in our study of the book of Acts, but other times and studies... The the number one problem that the early church faced, the number one problem that the early church faced was this coming together of two completely different groups of people, two different cultures coming together, Gentiles and Jewish believers coming together into one body, the body of Christ. In our study of the book of Acts early on, if you were with us, um, the early church it was it was they were all jews peter james john all those guys in fact just before jesus ascends into heaven you know peter asks jesus is it now you're going to restore the kingdom to to jerusalem is is this the time i mean all the old testament prophecies talked about that the messiah was going to return and set up his his kingdom on earth and jerusalem was going to be the seat of power and god was going to use the jewish people and proclaim the good news in that great coming millennial kingdom. Is it now you're going to do that? Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times of the epochs that the Father has set. You just be my witnesses. And then on the day of Pentecost, there were all these Jewish people that had come from all over the the region of the Roman Empire to worship on the day of Pentecost. And the Spirit of God descends, and all these people, many of these people, 3,000 and then 5,000, they come to faith in Jesus. And there they are in Jerusalem. And they're all expecting Jesus to return and set up that kingdom in Jerusalem and fulfill all the Old Testament prophecies of the the ancient Jewish prophets. The early church was a Jewish thing. And And then this rising star of Judaism, Paul, gets saved, born again, converted to Jesus Christ and becomes the missionary to whom? To the despised and hated Gentiles. God had to do a number on Peter, remember? Hey, go eat this stuff. Lord, I'm a good Jewish boy. I'm not going to eat that, that, that food, Acts chapter 10. And God says, look, what I have claimed, what I have deemed clean, you don't label unclean. And then he sends him to a Roman centurion, Acts chapter 10, to witness to him. It was like, are you kidding me, God? Those are enemies. And, and, and a Roman centurion, no less. They have crushed us. You want me to go to a Roman Gentile centurion? Yep, and Peter did. Cornelius was saved and his family. And Paul continues to spread the good news among the Gentiles. Do you see the, the, the disunity that is there potentially in the body of Christ? Are you kidding me? You mean I have to sit next to the assembly, in the assembly of fellowship, to that that good-for-nothing Gentile dog? You mean I have to sit next to that good-for-nothing Jewish person? Yeah, says Paul, because guess what? We're one in Christ. We're one body in Christ. And this was important for Paul. The unity of the body. Oh, the comfortable thing was not to go to Jerusalem, but he was completely devoted to the person of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, who brought two different groups of people together into one entity called the church of Jesus Christ. Paul was all about seeing God glorified through the growing spiritually enlivened, unified body of Christ. He wrote this in Ephesians 4, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which with you have been called, and with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Or Philippians chapter 2, he wrote the Philippian church, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. Come on, church, let's be one. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, For even as the body is one, yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. We're one in Christ. Or back in Ephesians he wrote this, but now in Christ Jesus, you, you Gentiles who were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one. He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall so that in himself he might make the two into one new man thus establishing peace and he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross the cross of Jesus Christ over and over again over and over again throughout the new testament this was the burden of paul we we are one body in Christ and we're all different. We're all from different cultures. Whatever Paul is saying, we're all... But the, but the big issue was the Gentile and the Jew coming together and understanding this, the oneness. Paul was willing to die for that. And he collected this money from the Gentile churches to bring to Jerusalem, I think, as an example to say, do you see fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are, who are of Jewish origin do you see what the brothers and sisters in these Gentile churches are doing? They care for you. We're, we're one. We're, we're one body in Christ. And he personally wanted to deliver that gift to Jerusalem and make that statement, even if it was uncomfortable to do it. Why? Because he was completely devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and the body of Christ. Our goal in life needs to be to reflect honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, even if it's uncomfortable to do it. It is not for us to live a comfortable life. It is ours to live a completely devoted life, to glorify his name, to build up the body of Christ to a watching world. And folks, that gets real practical, right down to the nitty-gritty issues of life how we treat one another, how we love one another in our homes, in our church, in our, in our in the body of Christ around the world. The body of Christ is important. Paul wrote to the or said to the Ephesian elders, as we saw last week, to, to shepherd this flock, the one, the, the flock of God, the body of Christ for whom Christ shed his blood to purchase. That's what we're dealing with. The church of Jesus Christ was so important to the Apostle Paul, he was willing to die so that he can take this gift as an example of the love of the Gentiles for the Jewish believers. Well, here's something else that I want to emphasize. As followers of Christ, we should always help each other obey the will of God rather than the will of man. Um, There are decisions that we have to make. Paul had to make some decisions. Is he going to go to Jerusalem? Now, he was, there's no question, he was unpersuaded to not go. I mean, he was was going to Jerusalem. And the churches and the fellow believers, Luke and and these traveling companions, um, they were trying to talk him out of it. But we have to be careful. As followers of Christ, we should always help each other obey the will of God and not what seems expedient or the right thing to do in terms of the eyes of man. Iron sharpens iron. and may counselors, there's wisdom. Now, Paul, as we know, he didn't take their advice. He still went to Jerusalem because God's will was far more important. And the believers there said the same thing. Well, okay, the, the, the will of the Lord be done. We've tried it. We, we think it's not right, but the will of the Lord be done. But my point is, we need to help each other understand what God is communicating to us through his word in life situations you know no man is an island right i mean we we need each other to wrestle with what is lord what do you want me to do in this thing in this situation well i don't know what to do and so we talk with other believers we get together and we pray together but our goal in our communicating with one another is to get at this bottom line what is it that the lord wants for you in this situation I mean, there's a lot of rotten advice that is being given sometimes even in the body of Christ. Terrible advice given. Has nothing to do with the will of God or the Word of God. And shame on us. Our goal is to help each other as brothers and sisters in Christ follow Him. Follow after the will of God. We need to help each other think biblically and not what is the most expedient thing to do and makes the most common sense in terms of human thinking and reasoning. Here's the third thing. A praying church, you see that all over the book of Acts, a praying church enjoys communion with the Father. It builds up the community of fellow believers and it brings the comfort to all who participate. We see this all over the book of Acts. Certainly here, a lot of prayer was going on in the book of Acts. The travel companions of Paul back there in chapter twenty, verse four. You know this list um, in in verse four: Sopater, Berea, and Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby. It says, and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia, and and then Luke. And they they stopped at Tyre. I kind of went past that little verse in in uh, chapter twenty one, verse. um, it says they went to Tyre and after looking for the disciples that word looking means they searched for them they didn't know where they were we heard heard there's a church here there's there's believers here and so they looked for them and they found them and they had fellowship there for a week Um, we need each other we need to pray for one another we need to go through life together this is value by the way of community groups I'm not living our life in isolation. I mean, folks, if all you're getting is coming here one hour, an hour and a half on a Sunday morning and then your life is taken up with everything else going on, you know, job and work and school and running kids here and there, and then you expect another hour and a half of sitting here and looking at me flap my gums, I mean, that's not going to grow a Christian. We need each other. We need to pray for one another. We need to uphold each other and encourage one another. And we need to say, look, we're going to pray that the will of the Lord is going to be done in your life, and we're going to uphold you, and we're going to seek this, and we're going to do it together, the value of the body of Christ. Let me mention one more. And This verse stuck out to me, verse 5, but it, we need to include children in the life of the church. Verse 5 says, when our days were ended, after they left from Tyre, when our days were ended, we left and started on our journey while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. And after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. And they got on the boat, and the other families went home. Why would Paul or Luke include that? The wives, the children, the whole families came out. Can you imagine? Can you imagine those kids 25 years later? You know, maybe they're 5, 6, 7, 8, 10 years old. And they go down to the beach, and there's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul! and Timothy and Dr Luke and they got on and they saw dad and mom get on their knees on the beach and pray can you imagine what that little 5 year old now when he's 30 40 years old how that's going to imp- the imprint of him on his life what that's going to mean oh include the kids in the life of the church fellowship include them moms and dads grandparents are we praying with the kids are we are we doing those things at home but are we bringing them into the life of the body of Christ why is it that so many young people like go off to college now as many are doing and they'll walk away from the Lord I'll tell you why a great and, and studies have been done on this because they've never been vitally connected to the life of the body of Christ And here are people bringing their kids on their knees, praying for the Apostle Paul. What an impression that must have made. Do our children see us worshiped? Are they engaged in the life of the church together? Do they see dad singing the songs when the body lifts up their voices to sing and worship? Do they see mom bowing her head do they see grandpa and grandma opening up their Bibles and seeing the Bible being taught? Are they a part of what's going on in the life of the church? Are they serving in the life of the church? We have a family here that every week they clean the coffee pots and stuff after, after the service. They do it as a family. Little kids help them, help them doing it. Folks, this is serious business because the next generation is at stake. Um, I've got these vivid memories as a kid. I grew up in a Christian home. I have vivid memories driving to church on a Sunday morning with my parents, and I think my sister was in there somewhere, Um, quoting our memory verses that we were going to share in in Sunday school. We're, we're We're sharing our memory verses in the car. Wednesday night, we'd go to church. I have vivid memories of us singing hymns as we're going to church. That leaves an impression upon a person's heart and life. Um, these, these memories, these vivid memories, I can remember well, some of my earliest memories, of, and I don't know, I might have been four or five years old. I have some a vivid, you know, they're kind of more, not a movie, but it's more of an imprint, a picture, of, of on the floor at the home of where my folks are having their, Bible, their, their, their adult Bible study. And they brought us kids. And we're sitting on the floor, and I've I, and fallen asleep on the floor while mom and dad were having their Bible study. Those are wonderful memories. Include the children in the life of the body of Christ. That's what we need to be doing. It was fun on Friday night to see all the families here and the kids coming, and Lisa and I were back with the toddlers, and I'm so glad it was only three hours. Um, But, you know, I don't know what impression they saw. Well, they didn't know me from, you know, the man on the moon. Uh, But there was this old guy with gray hair, you know, playing with him on the floor at church. Why? Because parents thought it was important to be here and to bring their kids. And, folks, we need to do that. In the life of the church, I remember having missionaries over for dinner after church and those types of things. We need to do it let me wrap it up by just saying this the body of christ is so valuable in all of these things this passage paul's heart why was he willing to go to jerusalem because of the body of christ the body of christ why was parting from the ephesian elders why was it just tearing them apart why was he telling the believers you're You're weeping, you're breaking my heart because he loved these people. There's nothing like the body of Christ. There's nothing like the church. It's not just an hour a week thing. We're the family of God. And Jesus Christ shed his blood to purchase us from the slave market of sin and call us out as an entity, the body of Christ. He died so that he could collect us together and that we could love each other. And proclaim to a world that doesn't know what love is about. That there's a God in heaven who loves them. Who sent his son to die and pay the penalty for their sin. That's what's at stake. The body of Christ. Why did Paul and Luke and Secundus and and Gaius and those guys search out the church at Tyre? There's a church here somewhere. Why did they spend the time to search and look and find the believers and get them together and spend a week with them? Because the church was important to them. Because it's the the bride of Christ. It's the body of Christ. That's who we are. We are engaged with one another in the life of Christ to proclaim that to the world. It is not a social organization. It's not a location, 3217 Middle Road. It's the people of God for whom Jesus died. And our love for the church I think is an expression of our love for Jesus and for what he's done for us. Paul would say, it might not be comfortable, but if you want to serve Christ completely, if you want to serve me, Jesus is saying, then love my body. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this example of the life of the Apostle Paul who is willing to go to the greatest of lengths even at the willingness to lose his own life so that you would be glorified, so that the, the people for whom you have died, the church of Jesus Christ, um, could be growing and healthy and the, the challenges of unity and all those things, Father, that um, pressed so much against the Apostle Paul, burdened his heart, that those things, Father, would be would be lived out in our life, that value. And to bring along our our kids, the next generation, to value the local church, Father. Um, Help us, Father, to see the church as you see it, to appreciate um, what you've done to bring us into a relationship with you as the body of Christ. And Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for us, for loving us and shedding your blood that we can have a relationship with you. We are eternally grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.